You're listening to a Corridor Business Journal podcast. For more than six decades, ACT has advanced its mission of helping people achieve education and workplace success. We exist to fight for fairness in education and create a world where everyone can discover and fulfill their potential. Education has power, a power that can change lives forever. It creates opportunities that lift up individuals and their families, and it sparks societal change that echoes through generations to come. From our grassroots, we have fought the good fight for equity in education, and we remain devoted to helping anyone who struggles to access that power. We are all in to create a world that values and encourages each individual's abilities and potential in a society that is fairer and more equitable. What's next for you? A new car? A new house? A vacation? At Alliant Energy, we're planning what's next for your energy by adding more renewable energy sources, embracing new technology, building stronger communities, and providing you with more options. We're not just powering homes and businesses. We're powering what's next for you. Learn more at AlliantEnergy.com slash powering what's next. The phrase people you can bank on, it kind of embodies our legacy. What I think that means is we care about our clients, we care about our community, and we care for each other. Having been in business for over 20 years and uh, explored all possibilities of financing and you know banking relationships, I have found that the people at Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust are people that you can really bank on. Welcome to another exciting episode of the Corridor Media Group's Diversity Straight Up, sponsored by ACT, Align Energy, and Cedar Rapids Bank and Trust. I'm your host, Sarika Bakta, president of Nikea Diversity Consulting. And I am Anthony Arrington, managing partner of Top Rank. We have a great show today. I am excited. We're going to get under the hood and and, uh, talk a little diversity, equity, inclusion through the lens of a leader in the utility and rail industry. Boy, 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 this is exciting. Yes. Let's do it. Who we got? Who do we got, Sarika? We have Leisha Coffey with us today. Welcome, Leisha. She joined Travero in 2014 and served as Chief Operating Officer, first at Crandick Rail and then at Travero overall, before being promoted to president in 2021. Leisha's understanding of logistics operations and customer needs, combined with her focused vision and strong leadership, has enabled her team at Travero to expand its range of services and capabilities to bring even more value to our customers. Prior to joining Travero in 2014, she served as Regional Director of Operations at Travero's parent company, Alliant Energy. Leisha has an MBA from Mount Mercy University, and her resume is long, long, long. Welcome to Ta-da. Diversity Straight Up, Leisha. Yay. Yay. Thanks a lot. I'm happy to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, a shout out and plug again to Alliant Energy, which is um, where Travero is a subsidiary of Alliant Energy. You have been a great partner since the beginning of Diversity Straight Up podcast, and we just have to do a very special shout out for that just because of the support and dedication and commitment that we have received from you and your colleagues has been tremendous. Don't you say that? Absolutely. From From day one, they've been there, and we really appreciated that. Well, we are navigating that path, and I don't think we've figured it out yet, but uh, we know it's really important Mm -hmm. um, work, and it's not 
we're never done. So yeah. glad to be a part of this. Really honored. Absolutely. Well, before we get started, you know, we usually we have a segment we call Something's on Our Mind. There's something on my mind. So what's on your mind, Anthony? What's on my mind? Um, you know, it's it's a coincidence or the dichotomy uh, that we are up against. Uh, this is Pride Month. And this is a month we're supposed to be celebrating um, humanity and celebrating the accomplishments and the, and the inclusion of, of members of the LGBT community, which is a great thing. Um, and I, I juxtapose that against the, what I call, this is Anthony Arrington's opinion, the attack on that community through legislation and through laws and through banning of books, um, that they're really, I, I, they're really scaring humans. And it, it just disturbs me. I have a friend, a good friend of mine, who's an educator, um, and is thinking of leaving the state. Um, for our listeners, that is the state of Iowa. That's the state of Iowa. Yes, for our listeners, that's the state of Iowa. And is thinking of leaving. And it's probably this is the last year as an educator because literally she can't talk about her family um, because of the laws. She's afraid to talk about her family. Um, there was a, a Facebook post where uh, an institution talked about uh, or changed, uh, put a logo out of Pride Month uh, celebration. And uh, the, the comments were vile and one of them were, was directed so you see this mm-hmm. stuff, and it's just—it's so sad, and it just disturbs me. And I think about that from from my lens, right? I try to—I I, can't—I can empathize because I'm not a member of that community, but I have to—I say, let me substitute that word for black people or women, and just substitute what's happening, and 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 remember where that's happened before in in our history. And it just—it's scary to think about. So it's been on my mind a lot lately. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing, yeah. and I am yeah. uh, so sorry to hear your friend uh, yeah. going through this. And uh, that's been on my mind as long as well as so many other things. But as I think about Pride Month, which it should be year round, right? I mean, I mm-hmm. understand why we try to elevate different months. It's also supposed to be Immigrant Heritage Month. You know, there's just so much that is going on yeah. in this world. Yet, talk about LGBTQ plus community. Uh, if I look at the state of Iowa, way back in the days, I used to be with the Red Cross, and we used to have an HIV-AIDS program. And I recall with our clients, they would say that Iowa was a welcome home state. Mm-hmm. So they felt good about coming back in times of need, especially in the lives that they were going through. Yeah. And I'm just thinking about uh, where we were then and where we are now where I think the feelings and sentiments have changed. And I'm always going back to what does an inclusive leader mean? How do you define an inclusive leader? Hmm. Because I'm always saying that an inclusive leader is going to be a leader that is going to be accepting and being open to listening to perspectives, values, and beliefs that may not align with theirs per se, yet are still going to be inclusive in wanting to collaborate and partner with them, especially if they're colleagues or their customers and clients, to be able to provide services in the community yeah. or whatever your end right. goal is. Yeah. To me, that is an inclusive leader. Yeah. When we stop at that inclusive meanings, you you have a job here, you're employed here. That's not that's what where do you cross that bridge to where whether you agree or disagree philosophically with an individual's community or, or, or their thoughts the the question is do they belong 
and that's have we reached that point where they belong? Because inclusion is not enough to say that well, you're just here, well, you just have a job. That's not enough anymore, and that's what we're seeing. And it's you're right. Think about that. Iowa was one of the first states in the country to legalize same-sex marriage. What happened? What happened? Right. And this is where I've always been a firm believer of diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement. Yeah. For mm-hmm. me, engagement Absolutely. is what organizations have tracked and measured. And when people are engaged and have a higher levels of engagement, that means that they have that sense of belonging. Yes. That's why engagement for me is so big. And that's why we can't stop in, at our inclusive behaviors because yeah. that's what we can check for ourselves. Yeah. But how can you assess if people are feeling engaged? have yeah. that sense of belonging. And that's why it's so crucial because, frankly, the engagement numbers are very low in this world. So, it's Misha, I see you have... Uh... Well, I, I was thinking, um, I, I passed on my way, actually, to here, um, a schoolyard. And I bet these kids were preschool-age kids. And they were all out playing. It's a beautiful day. And I thought... There's not a single one of them that isn't engaging with the other with any anything in their mind yet or other than I want to play. Mm-hmm. I want to be accepted. I want to have fun. I want to laugh. I want to belong. Not a single one of them is being stopped by what somebody is wearing, how they talk or don't talk what color their skin is. They're just being. Mm-hmm. And so I, it, it dawned on me as I looked at that at the stoplight, I thought to myself, to your question, how did we get to where we are? When you are two, four, five, six, you're not even thinking about these things. And yet by the time we're talking about creating laws, being a part of a community, now that is all that conversation is. Mm-hmm. And I think, how do, we, how do we bridge that? I don't have the answer, <laughs> but yeah. I was thinking about that on my way over here. It's interesting because when you, when you talk about kids, and we've had these conversations before, and we, uh, Sadek and I, when we presented on, on things like bias, and we talk about what happened to our ability to question for the, for the sake of understanding as opposed to questioning to try to be right. You know, we talk about, um, you know, ki- well, kids, they were, they're curious people. They've always been, why? You know, why? Why? Kids always want to know why. And we talk about, you know, my mom used to say, because I said, you know, but mm-hmm. my point is that what happened to our ability to question for the sake of learning instead of question to degrade or, or question to be right and um, thinking about those kids on the playground, you hope that's all they're doing. They're just being. And if they question, they're just questioning because they want to know. And it's a great trans. Right? I, I think as I was thinking about this, you know, I I have I have privilege, um, privilege in that I am, yes, have a title that gives me leadership, but um, privilege in that I get to make an impact every day, and I get to choose every day when I wake up. How do I want that to look, and what do I want those people that I interface with to feel? And so, when I think about that, you just said that the kid Anthony saying, "Why, why? How can I engage every day and model that behavior from a perspective of understanding and learning?" And when we think, of, when I think of what diversity, inclusion, equity, the 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 different names that we might label this, it's really about 
learning and growing and mm-hmm. then figuring out on that because we all had different paths on our journey and how do we connect on that and so I, I like your comment about the kids saying why because they want to learn and how can I translate that though in my everyday life of right. being able to ask those questions and then apply that in um, how I interact every day with people yeah yeah Alicia I've always said to clients create a culture of questioning and mm-hmm. that is when you know when when we done the bias trainings as Anthony's referring to I always say that as 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 children, you know, they're asking questions a lot because of the curiosity, because they're trying to make a sense of the process of the world, and you're asking them to do something, and they're only asking why because they don't know. Um, and that is where it starts. But as you get older as adults, you stop that because you feel there's a fear factor, right? Mm-hmm. Or that there isn't the culture of, oh, they're challenging me. And I said that if you can create a culture of questioning, mm-hmm. that allows for more innovation to thrive because you're allowing people to uh, share their thoughts, feedback, and input on policies, programs, po- you know, procedures, you name it. That's what really drives innovation because that allows you to improve on processes, yeah. hence the definition of innovation. So again, and modeling the way at the end of the day, that is what you can do, as yeah. you said. So uh, I appreciate you sharing the segment on what's yeah. on, you know, or, uh, what's on your mind, because as you can see, we go into many different mm-hmm. rabbit holes. <laughs> we <laughs> do. I love it. Yeah. But um, let's move on to the next segment on what's on our guest mind. Say, guess what's on your mind? Actually, you know, you, you uh, we were mentioning earlier, privilege that you have privilege and you can wake up every day and kind of decide how do I want to use that privilege you're in a unique space you know as a professional you're in a a a transportation and rail industry that is dominated by men primarily white men and you've risen to this executive level and so when you think about that and you think about this unique perspective as a woman that you have how does that how does that help or hurt you at Trevero? How do how does that help you show up and how do you leverage that in a space dominated by men? Well, I'll tell you, I don't think I do it right every day. <laughs> um, I, I but I can also tell you, I'm I'm working on it every day. Mm-hmm. I what I hope people walk away with when they talk with me is that I am definitely listening, and I'm applying what I'm hearing, and that I'm, and it'll sound selfish when I say this, but it's actually, hopefully, if you follow this through, I'm always working on me. Because Mm. if I'm doing the best for myself to get better, everyone around me is going to get better. And that often means I'm not doing anything. I'm getting better at listening so that I can then notice that there's an opportunity to bring someone along in the conversation that's not getting to be heard. Mm -hmm. Or it's an opportunity for me to notice that we're missing something. And making sure that we then fill that gap with that individual or that thought or that idea. So when you say, uh, as a female, one of the things that most, there is definitely a lot of educational literature out there that talks about women bring usually more emotional intelligence to the table. It's a piece that they often have at a higher Mm -hmm. rate than men doesn't mean it's always that by any stretch and not all women do it well generally speaking generally speaking um i think that's something that in the in a male-dominated industry where there isn't as much of that and where technical skills have been really been the focus for success um coming in as a female focusing on the people saying success is going to happen if you put the right people in the place places and let them drive that success bringing in people that think differently. I'm a product of that diversity. Um, I'm white, 
but as a female in a completely male-dominated world for the last 30 years of my career, every time I walked in the room, I knew I was walking into something that I did not look, there was nobody in that room that looked like me. And so how did I traverse that? At times, I traversed it terribly. I thought I had to play the same game that they were playing. Mm-hmm. I had thought I had to speak loud, use profanity at times. So I felt like I was in the locker room having these conversations just like them. And in fact, that actually usually backfires because I wasn't being authentic. Mm-hmm. And that's a word that you get you hear a lot about, but it really, I was going to be successful in this because I was going to be different. Mm-hmm. And I was going to bring a different ideas, different mindset, an emotional uh, intelligence approach, that EQ piece of this, that when we talk to your employees, that you recognize it's to that why you were talking about earlier, Sadaka. It's why are they behaving that way? Why are they responding to the conversation with such anxiety? And then appreciating that, because actually the, in- the conversation or the anxiety or the decision or whatever, the that's... That's the lagging indicator. What's really happening? And it's Mm -hmm. really about where they're coming from. Back to, again, why we're here talking. It's about their insecurity because of whatever happened in their past. Or maybe it's about them feeling they got left out of something or an opportunity or got bypassed. But when you can start to peel that onion and get to some of those pieces, then you can really start to have good dialogue and build that trust so that hopefully... They know that when they're talking to me, they're getting me and they're getting someone who's listening and it's going to work really hard for them. You know, um, it's a great question you asked there, Anthony. I've also had conversations with um, women CEOs that say that, well, why is it that that question always gets posed to me? Male dominated industry as a woman leader. Mm -hmm. Like, why do they have to put that as a caveat woman leader? Why can't I just be the leader? And it's just an interesting, uh, different uh, perspective, which makes you think, right? Because not all women leaders are going to have the same journey, same experience, or maybe that element of their identity. For them, it wasn't something that, you know, created those barriers and challenges because they've navigated that all their lives. So when they showed up at work, it was something that they were so used to. But it was just interesting listening to that perspective and hearing that. And I guess you can put in anything else, right? Plug in something else if it's not woman. It can be, you know, Asian, black, anything. So any thoughts on that, Leisha? I think it's also interesting, absolutely. And I think, Sadaka, an interesting point of this is that the generation above me, by 10 years or so, came up through that same male dominant. And there are some women in there. And their journey was so different than mine. They had to behave in mm-hmm. certain ways. They couldn't do certain things that I have done. They paved the path. And then they expected that of me. And when I didn't behave that same way, that was an interesting, like, oh, okay, um, I'm not fitting into that group. Yet, I love to think, Anthony, our girls are in a situation where they're actually in a better place. Some of these conversations that you just talked about, I show up as a female in a male-dominated world my entire career. I don't think twice about it. They show up, they don't think twice about it either, but it's not because they're the only female. It's because they actually feel fairly, fairly confident Mm -hmm. in where they are. And I think that to some extent, is something that should be celebrated. We've come, mm-hmm. we've come yeah. some way. But, but Sadaka, your question was, what about when you put in black or you put in 
um, gay or you put it, have we moved those needles that way? I'd say no, absolutely not. And it's interesting that you say that. I'm, it's interesting. That's a great thought, right? The school of thought that how do you, sh why do I have to show up because I'm black? Why can't I just be me? Or why do I have to be a woman? Why do I have to just be me? I think it's an and, right? This is that challenge that we have to recognize the challenges of a woman in this space. Like it's real. Um, but that doesn't mean it has to be the gospel every day, right? Or that doesn't mean that I'm also not very talented, that you mm -hmm. are not a very talented leader. That's why you got to the place that you are. I remember having a conversation with um, a female leader, and we were having the same talk, and she went to her boss, and they got into it because it was intent versus impact. Her boss wasn't intending to say that they needed more women in the department, mm -hmm. but he was trying to say that they needed to recruit more women. But he comes from a generation that it came out it wasn't what he said, it was how he said it. And it, and it made her feel a certain way. And, and she's of that generation, but she was a woman in a leadership position and she basically had a breakdown and said, you know, are, are you just hiring me just because I was a woman? And they had to have that talk, but it was, to your point, it was one of these generational things where he didn't mean it that way, um, but it came across as offensive. That's why I love her. what you guys are doing here you're putting the communication opportunity out there because if she hadn't said that, if she couldn't, whether she felt like she could or whatnot, but to have this conversation was allowed her to A, get it out there, yeah. figure that out, be able to use that as an example of that generational situation. And the fact is, this is not easy. Mm -hmm. I, I, I am on a journey and I don't know where I am on that journey. I mean, I'm not at zero. But I'm not right. a done by any stretch. And mm -hmm. I would say I'm not even halfway. So if you do the, the idea that you guys are doing these podcasts, I just love it because it allows us to have a conversation. And we're not going to do it right every time. And yet it allows us to learn from each other. It allows us to screw up. Yeah. Um, so I, I really appreciate it. But I think what it, one of the best pieces is now we can continue to talk. Yeah. And that that's it's really talking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for uh, sharing that, Leisha. I goes right into my next um, question that I have is when we're talking about diversity, equity, inclusion and engagement, belonging, that's transforming cultures. And we know change management <laughs> is not perfect. We're going to make mistakes. And as you said, as long as we can learn from them. Right. Diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement is a huge part of that, you know, creating that culture that we want and does it align to the values, et cetera. So can you share a time um, when you experienced a diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement initiative that was executed yet wasn't well received? And uh, what was the impact and what was the path forward? Because it's, it's easy to say either we're going to not do it anymore, but did you pivot? And what was the outcome? I would say I don't know that I've seen any type of effort or initiative be 100% well-received because I feel like we are still in such a learning mode no matter where you are in, mm. in what company you work for or what uh, in what environment. It doesn't have to be through the companies, but in this conversation, I have seen where with that said, I have seen, and you know, I'm a glass half full type of person. So I'm always looking to see, okay, we, we made the mistake. What did we do that is positive though? What can we build off of? And that's where the pivot happens. There's always something that was good. So what can we take from it? 
So with that said, I what I'm noticing is looking at situations where we do a DEIB of some form or fashion, and we don't think, and you said it, the change management piece. We think about it as initiatives, training, goals, um, belief. We we we're aligned. We've got our you know our executive team believes that we've got champions and sponsors and all the right things. But what we don't take into account is this is no different than when you're doing an organizational change. This is truly change management. And I will tell you, we didn't do it well at Trevero. We we are still trying to figure it out. Um, and it's one of the things I, I called Anthony at one point from a just knowing him from previous relationships of friends and kids. I said, you're in this space and I, I don't I don't know what to do next because I know that we have really good employees who aren't feeling like they belong Hmm. and for different reasons. That's the other thing. It's not all because of this one criteria and I, I, I don't know what to do next. And one of the things I think Anthony said right out of the gate is you really got to understand where you are first before you can figure out what you're going to do next. And I think that is something that we're doing right now that is going to be very helpful to put us on a path. Um, but what it also reminds me is how much we have to look at ourselves. Where are we? Mm-hmm. That bias you said. It, it, where am I on my thought? I thought every day I'm growing, I'm reading, I'm learning, I'm expanding my brain. But how am I applying all of that? How am I living it? Mm-hmm. And um, through this effort of trying to understand where we are as a company and culture and recognizing we missed out on change management the first time we're not going to do that again Mm. um but it's also remembering it's not perfection it's a process a journey it is definitely a process and the thing is that and it is not perfection why because we're all humans Mm -hmm. and i think this is where we give grace and get grace in the process and i've always said this journey does start with us individually and it shows up at the company or in the community. So it's not fair to blame, you know, put all the fingers and, you know, the blame on organization or the community, especially if we're not there to be willing to be part of that change. Yeah. And that starts with us, yeah. right? Um, and I think this is a key thing is people always think that, oh, well, if we can't do it right, we're going to, they're scared to do it. And I said, go for it. Good. As long as you can learn from the mistakes and pivot yes. and continue forward because it is that process. And, and I uh, respect any leader that says that I don't know yet I'm willing to learn because that shows a lot to others that are looking up to you and um, you're modeling the way, right? Because we're all learning. I'll yeah. never get to the end point ever. That's me Such saying it for myself. Point. Such a great point, Sadika. Such a great point. Do you, and, do, you ever, do you ever think that when you are going, you know, Sadika, you just were saying, um, you put yourself out there and you, you try and people are afraid to fail. I often think for myself, and I'm only speaking for myself here, my fear isn't the failure. I fail every day. Mm-hmm. I fail every day. It's the failure around something that is so personal to someone else that I just don't want to, you know, I want to help lead what it's the right thing to do. It's just, it's being a good human. It's creating. So all of these, I know in my heart, that these are things I will do and I will stand up and do this and that. But I will say, I think sometimes there's a, there's a fear of failure, not because of failure per se. It's that I don't want to hurt anyone. Don't want to hurt people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, we talk about, uh, yeah, I felt that. Absolutely. And it's Seneca, we've talked about that. It's that intent versus impact. What is my, I don't intend to hurt anybody. And sometimes that fear of, am I going to offend or am I going to, is somebody going to misunderstand what I say? That's a real 
That's a real feeling, and that's a real uh, intent for why some leaders and some organizations decide against taking the deeper dive and trying to understand their culture. And, and to your point, it's, it's, it's this fear, and it's real. That's why we I have to, to acknowledge that. You do, and it, I think if we can talk that way and right. say that, but I'm still going to move forward. Right. Yes. That's so, the piece. Yes. Right. The impact of not doing anything is, is making worse. it worse, right? And, so I always go back to building those trusting relationships. I mean, you talk to any salesperson, even if they've never met somebody, we've met strangers on the, you know, on the streets when we're traveling. Mm-hmm. You could still build trust at that first second, right? And especially when it comes to colleagues or clients that you have more of an opportunity to build trust over time, the only way is to be able to have those conversations. Because, again, there could be something that happens between Anthony and I, but I'm like, I've known this person, I trust him, but he said this, made me feel this way. Hey, let's have a conversation, right? But it takes time to be able to do that. Yet that only happens if you know your organization, you know the culture, and you know how people are feeling at that point. I would say that barometer of assessing where the culture is at. Assessments Mm -hmm. that that Anthony and I have done jointly as well as separately, it'll come back to, we do not have people talking to each other yes. about DEIE or DEIB, whatever it is. So the fact is having conversations yes. and people say communication, if we can do that. And this is where it comes down to it. It's, it's a crux of it. Yeah. People, you know, they, they know what it is. It's just what are they doing about it? How are you getting to know the humans, right? And, and that's the hard part. We, we think in business we're not supposed to know humans. We're just supposed to, you know, I've had worked with companies who say I'm just supposed to show up and work. That's all I need to do is just show up and put my eight hours in and go home. I don't need to, you know, you work on the assembly line. I've been there 30 years. That's all I do is just go to work. I don't care what you look like, who you are. <laughs> you like to think that that doesn't matter, but it does. You know, we, And this is a, kind of a good segue. I was thinking about do we really know people, right? And I was thinking about your lived experience, you know, if you don't mind. People don't know that your children are biracial. Mm-hmm. You, Your husband, your ex-husband was a member of the Asian community. Let's be honest here. Looking physically at you, you're a white woman. Uh, your kids do not look the tradition, the the traditional in quotes people, listeners on the line part, right, of what an Asian is supposed to look like. And so I'm curious, how has your lived experience as a human and living in that world impacted your decision-making as a, as a person? How has your lived experience impacted your decision-making as a businesswoman? Do you think about that, or does it does it impact you? Absolutely does. Absolutely does. I um, give so much credit uh, to Joe uh, because he really allowed us to bring the culture. Both I come from an Irish uh, culture, and he comes. Obviously, his mother was a, a war bride mm-hmm. and came over um, from Japan in her late twenties, and she was an amazing woman. Learned to speak English raising the two kids, watching Sesame Street. Mm. Wow. Yeah. So I, I give Joe so much credit for giving the opportunity to and, and, and actually engaging me in my own heritage of looking at it from that perspective mm-hmm. because we wanted to give our children that. So both their names obviously represent the Japanese and Irish heritage that they come from. But then it became how do we help embrace that? How do we help teach it? from the language to the food to um, experiencing different culture parts of the culture. Um, so there was obviously those that I think are very tactical, tangential. You can feel and see and eat and breathe. But then 
I learned to think about it a little differently. Everything from dressing up at Halloween mm-hmm. and, you know, little kids in, in geisha outfits, but recognizing what does that really mean and understanding what that represents at an adult or for a young uh, Japanese girl and what that represents in that culture, which isn't something that you'd want to be promoting. Um, really had to think hard about how we taught our kids, um, both our girls, to understand, to respect, but also understand. And then listening to stories of his mom and the internment camps mm. and the different things that she went through. Mm. So it was it was an amazing history lesson and how that's a how that has affected me is in how we've made sure both our girls understand the why and to realize they are always a part of the conversation and they are there is no one way around the tree but i will tell you um you have to work with other people you have to they're really understanding where someone's coming from and before you make that call about why they're, you know, I, I'm, I'm choosing not to like this person. I'm choosing to think they're doing this. You know, nobody got up that morning and said, I can't wait to offend you, Anthony. Mm-hmm. They didn't. Most people do not wake up every morning and think that way. Right. And so teaching the girls, because they're coming at it from some of that background that, that their family has experienced. Yeah. But, you know, what's interesting is I never stopped to ask them until they were out of high school. I, I'm mind blown that I didn't. How much did you experience yourself? I mean, we spent I spent all this time trying to teach the history, the culture. How do you stand up for yourself? Um, my brother is gay. How do we make sure that he feels welcomed, loved, and embraced, and, and all of the things that we want? And yet I never said, how, have you been discriminated against? Have you felt that way? And I finally did because it dawned on me right after my oldest or youngest graduated high school two years ago. That I'm in this journey myself, and yet I never included my kids. Yeah. I mean, talk about the I had a V8 moment that you feel pretty stupid as a parent. Mm. Well, you're, you're not alone. You, you know, I, I raise our kids are the same age. For the listeners know, our, Alicia and I, kids are the same age. And, and, and Sadika's got kids, uh, young kids as well. And I've made those same mistakes, right? Like, I, I raised my kids. They understood their black history. They under. But did I spend enough time to teach them about themselves? Did we talk about their experiences in school? Not really, because I never saw that personally affect them. But I did ask them as adults. And I'm telling you, I learned some things that I didn't me know. Me too, Anthony. I learned some things about my own city that I never, that, let me, let me back up. I knew it because I've experienced it, but I never knew my kids experienced it. And they started telling me things that happened at certain places in this community, and it blew me away in some respects. It's like a, it's a sucker punch, right? It's like kicking it, the it, it gut is. when it comes to yeah. um, other loved ones, too. Yeah. So thank you for sharing about um, your children and their yeah. experience and how they felt. So what did your children say, Alicia? I, it was very similar to what Anthony just described. It was a... They experienced racism in ways, and then listening to how they dealt with it was in some ways maybe why I didn't even think to ask because they handled it so well that I didn't even, and that's not a good thing that I didn't ask or didn't know, but they did handle it so well that it didn't appear to be impacting them. And and that's why I didn't notice it, but oh yeah, everything from pronunciations to their names to that's okay. I'll just call you E 
because it, your name's too difficult to say. Um, I'm sure, Sadaka, you've had some oh, yeah. experience with that. Say Sarah. Yeah. Or, you know, you don't look where, you know, where's your eyes? They're not, you know, they pull. And these are high school kids that are saying mm -hmm. this to them. So this wasn't just when they were young. And, and so it was um, both shattering, um, but also somewhat, I, I, there was a proud moment of, as they explained to me how they handled their conversations, how they stood up for themselves, how they, uh, I wouldn't say turn the other cheek. I would say just, yeah. just did a really nice job of being a, uh, an intelligent conversation. I've mm -hmm. always said to the kids, you don't have to agree, but you have to be able to articulate what it is that is upsetting you in a manner that allows for a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I was really proud in all of those situations they both gave me and that they both still experience yeah. um, that they're, that that's one of the things they use. And I, like I said, I, I really do give um, Joe and I worked hard on that. That's awesome. Yeah, and, it, and it shows having a lot of conversations with Joe and sharing about his background and you sharing with us. Um, I think um, being proud of that, right? And what are we doing to make the difference at the end of the day? I think about here in Iowa, I'm part of Asian Fest, mm -hmm. help, you know, since the beginning. Yeah. Just to get that, elevate that visible diversity. And yet my child, he's like, our school isn't diverse. Mm -hmm. I went to a school district that it was just me and my siblings that were the only Indians. So for the fact that he says, and I know there's a lot more Indians there and other South Asians, yeah. yet from his perspective is what he's feeling it even That's now. his lens, yeah. So asking him and... Having those conversations. Having those conversations. Yeah, you, Sedeca, you, you do well. Credit to Sedeca online, folks. She, she talks to her kids a lot. <laughs> you do. My little man. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, I want to go back to um, the workplace and community a little bit. In your experience, where have you found maybe the most resistance to fostering diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement? It may not be at your current workplace or, you know, just anywhere. And um, how did you respond and or did your leadership team respond? And I say it because this isn't something that's just happening now, folks, right? right. The, when we're thinking about the, the um, divisive landscape, and I say divisiveness just because I feel like it's easy to get into the cancel culture. And when we're thinking about what diversity, equity, inclusion, and engagement is, it's differences, folks. Mm -hmm. That also means including differences in political ideologies. And I'm a firm believer in, in America— being born in the largest democracy in India and being raised here in America, I love our freedom, right? So to having democracy and having different political ideologies is something that we experience all the time, whether it's your local elections, state elections, federal elections. But it comes out of rearing this ugly head. So I guess I just want to really be able to have some frank conversations today, folks, in terms of we know that's where some of the resistance is occurring is because of from the, that political platform, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Do you find, um, and not to veer off, because I'll come back to the question, but I, I, I often wonder the secular nature of this. Um, my, I, I say this because I, my grandfather went to the University of Illinois, played baseball, and I just recently got his uniform, and I put it in a shadow box. It's the University of Illinois, his baseball my uniform. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the orange. It was, it was 1939, and I went and found the yearbook online, and there's a picture of him a couple pictures of him in the yearbook. So I was typing his name in to find it in the yearbook. And what I found was not surprising, but yet shocking because I for, I just forgot. 
So, you know, in your yearbooks, college yearbook, just like many other yearbooks, they list what activities people were in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was typing in baseball is the term to try to find it through. And it, so it took you first through a lot of the names of the, the uh, students. And it listed their other activities. Ku Klux Klan was listed as an activity along with a number of other activities. So it, it made me think, because we are, do, we are on a, a journey that I do think about on a regular basis, this conversation that you're, you, you posed about uh, the political, the ramifications of what that is, how, how, we're, how, we're, how it is impacting our conversations around DE&I&B. This is not new. No, it's Mm-mm. not. It is no. not. And I see myself as I can do what I can do, and I'm going to continue to do what I try to do individually and hope that there is someone out there that is impacted positively by that, that then positively impacts someone else, and then positively impacts someone else. So when you say, where are we seeing, what are we doing, um, I see this as a, a singular um my first, my first job was to get my kids out and make sure that they are happy, healthy, productive members of society. Now here, I here. see this is, yeah, and now I see this, and that is a part of that. Amen, right? absolutely. And, and I, I see now this is my next one, and I can do that in so many facets, in my friendships, in when I play tennis, when I'm actually at work. And so when you ask, where are you seeing the situation when it works and what it isn't working, and what I what I run up against that's hardest, I, I don't know if it's any harder than it was ten years ago. It's that I'm more aware, mm. and that we are actually forcing the conversation. And forcing is probably not the right word, but we're having a conversation. Yeah. And so when I run into any type of pushback, it's not usually one on one. Most of the time, when you have conversations with individuals, usually you can have a conversation, and it's most of them people are pretty open and and honest particularly when you built that trust, it's the collective that usually gets yourself in a situation where mm-hmm. then all, it becomes collective thought. Right. You know, it's, in, it's interesting, and thank you for sharing that perspective and that thought. Some feel is forced, right? And it's really interesting. Um, I was with a client a couple of weeks back or so, and in my introduction, as Anthony can, you know, share with you, a lot comes out. People know me pretty, very, really well. You know, I talk about, you know, whether it's the religion, because I share that I'm a Hindu. And, for, and that was one of the feedbacks that somebody has said, like, you know, we're not, you know, used to talking about religion, yeah. politics in the workplace. And I think about that. It's something that that is something that was ingrained in me growing up that, okay, professional aspect in the workplace, right. don't talk about politics, religion, money, sex, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever, all of those or whatnot. And yet social movements are not new. And this impacts people. Yes. And they come to the workplace or they're living in your community. And if we're thinking that it doesn't impact them. So what was happening yes. way back in the days of trying to not, you know, yes. address it? Right. A couple things. It. Absolutely. So, I mean, you went there and that's such a great mm-hmm. point um, because I think there are two things that have impacted that. One is technology. Absolutely. We know that. Yeah. And two is uh, the civil rights movement and the women's movement that allow more people to talk. And I think when you see those, what's and, and, and if we think about what's happened in, in the world since the post-pandemic, since the pandemic, it allowed people to, force people to have to see 
force people to have to see and think about things that they have never thought about before. So to your point, I think that's so, so important, Leisha. It's not new, the things that we're hearing and seeing. They're not new. And all you need to do is speak to somebody of the LGBT community who's, you know, 70 years old today or speak to somebody in the Asian community who's 75 years old today. And they will tell you to, they will tell you it's not new. Mm -hmm. They will tell you what you're saying is being repeated, but it's at another level because of technology and these other things. And I think that that is a great point. Yeah. And I think the other thing is because you're seeing organizations and even companies back in the days, you know, some were looking at corporate social responsibility or their ESG, yet now it's not just at that corporate level. It is also in academia. It is also in nonprofits that is looking at what is their corporate social responsibility or their ESG. Yeah. And that's integrated with the DEI. And I think so that definitely helps to further the conversation, especially in places that, you know, we weren't used to it occurring, such right. as in the workplace. Yeah. I remember I moved from uh, St. Louis to Georgia. This would have been um, mid-90s. And it was in southern Georgia, Albany, if you were from mm -hmm. there, Albany, Georgia, if you weren't. And oh. um, I moved in and uh, working television broadcasting at the time. And I was introduced to this uh, uh, father and son who went to MIT. And I introduced myself and they said, hi, they were in my neighborhood. And they proceeded to say, oh, you're from St. Louis, you're a Yankee. And they didn't say that in a term that was positive. And it truly held every negative thing that mm -hmm. whatever you might conjure up as a Yankee. Now, I'm all of 26, 27, somewhere in that range. And the only thing I knew about what he was, I was like, Yankee? I'm, well, first of all, if you, Missouri was kind of on the border. We didn't really choose. And what do you mean, Yankee? Mm -hmm. I mean, I was just so not clueless about this. But what it dawned, as I learned through that process, I used to think bias, bigotry, um, some of this hatred that came was from a lack of education mm -hmm. and what I learned smack right in my face right there that day it wasn't lack of education it is how you're raised it is part of your exposure and experience and that for them was absolutely they went to MIT both of them mm -hmm. and yet they came back and are still carrying the scars of whatever their experiences were and I was now an enemy from being from St. Louis through their lived experience through their lived experience mm -hmm. that's right we don't talk enough about that what the easy thing to do right is to to be defensive which in some cases you should I think there are lines that can't be crossed I, but there are a lot of opportunities to mm -hmm. at least find out why how do you why do you think that way I know people have laughed at me and I giggle about it. How do I have a conversation with a Klan member with a hood on? It would be very difficult for me to do. But at minimum, I owe myself to understand why they put the hood on. And so that's what we have to continue to do, have that, that community of questioning, as Sadika said, that community of questioning. So, salute. Wow, this has been a very yes. uh, wonderful and deep, deep conversation. I really enjoyed it. I know that we can continue to go on, but I do have one last question before we move on to the next segment here is um, if you could launch a, you know, an initiative 
and the stars were aligning in your favor, what would that look like for um, for the U.S.? Well, that's heavy. Yeah, I know it is. That's a heavy <laughs> <laughs> I did say if the stars would align. That's right? a heavy one. <laughs> Something that could help... Um, Minimize this divisiveness. I am, uh, I am, uh, I am out there, really, really wanting to um, lessen this divisiveness. Okay, and so, and I know that, as you said, people wake up. How are they feeling? Right. I know the majority of folks are not out there for creating ill will, folks. Put it that way. Right? Tiny percentage. There is some. Very that's why I said the majority. Percentage. You know, but that's where the tiny could mm-hmm. be. Where. I'm not going to see eye to eye. Those are because they're crossing certain lines that I can't cross, right? But for the majority of folks in humanity, I have faith in it. I have faith in them and us. Yes. And I think if you build off that, boy, if you could find, um, and I don't know what it looks like, again, speaking just for myself here, a way to allow those conversations that are with different thoughts to happen so that you can learn and grow and appreciate, to your point, because I did ask the gentleman from MIT why. Yeah. But that gave me a greater understanding of, well, I lost my great uncle and this happened and this happened and this is why I feel so much angst. Mm -hmm. If we could have some, you know, magic spotlight that could just shine over us and say, okay, everybody, it's not, it's personal, but it's not. Let's have the conversation. Let's grow. Let's find appreciation and understanding and respect. Doesn't mean you have to believe what I believe. Mm -hmm. But it also doesn't mean we're going to kill each other over it. Yeah. And I don't think I have to change you, but I, I believe I have the influence. You have to change yourselves. And when you do that, and what you did with that other individual, I am sure now that with the experience and the interaction that they had with you made them think differently now, right? In the sense that, okay, in this area, they, she wanted to know, she asked, and I shared. And now it makes it easier the next time, you know, they interact with someone as well that they may perceive as being a Yankee, et cetera, and realize that, okay, maybe, you know, it's helping them to learn and grow on that journey. Giving them a voice. Oftentimes that's really what we want, right? We just want to be heard. Yeah, definitely. We just just want to be heard. All right. Well, let's move on to the next segment here. It is called What's on Our Listener's Mind? What's on Our Listener's Minds? Listeners, we have enjoyed all of the questions, comments, and suggestions you have uh, sent to DSU. Uh, Keep on sending them our way. So in this segment, um, we've banked a lot of questions over the seasons here. And um, the guest executive that is on their show gets the one is the one that um, can respond to their Mm -hmm. uh, question. So this one is from Kaylee from South Carolina. We would like to involve our colleagues from underrepresented groups with DEIE initiatives, yet how can we go about this without making them feel tokenized? That's a good question. That's a good question. Thank you, Kaylee, for submitting it. All right, Leisha, what would you say to Kaylee? Wow, Kaylee, thanks for the question. You know, two decades ago, I got approached because I was one of the few females in the energy industry at a leadership role. Can you help create a women's network? Oh. And we, I, I was just thrilled to have the opportunity. And I didn't think about it as being a token. With that said, I will tell you when we thought about the name, Energetic Women, I thought, are you kidding me? Oh. The men in my boardroom are gonna just laugh me out of the room because it just sounds so tokenish. Mm-hmm. 
And but the the rest of the women loved it. And the whole objective, I'm long story, I won't go into that, um, but it's been successful now for over the last 15 years and it's continued to go grow. So I, I would I would, as that question um, she asked, I, I would really challenge you to put it out there, talk about it, say, listen, we're gonna do this, and you might feel that way. There's two things. One, it's it's the and you talked about that earlier. How are you a female leader in a situation where you're the only one there? Why do you, why can't you just how I feel about a leader? Well, there is a responsibility though. And I remember at the time I thought, why do I, I don't want to do that. I'm surrounded by men. I don't want to call myself out, but I, I, there is a responsibility that, that you're not the token. You get the opportunity to help shape this for the person coming behind you. And if you don't do it well, the person behind you is going to have it harder. And so I would encourage our listeners, she thinks about this for her organization, be open and honest. Say, we, this isn't token. You're going to feel it maybe, but let's talk about that because that's okay. And then remember that doing this is opening the space up for those behind you. You're doing it for the people behind you. I was going to say, I always believe in when we, I, I work with clients about that word and we talk about that. And I remember a consultant said it to me once. I remember sitting and watching this female consultant talk about how she felt she was being tokenized. And she said, it was a me thing. And I had to realize that, that I'm in this room. I have, a, she said, I have a responsibility. And she said, I don't sit in the back of the room. I go to the front and I raise my hand when they ask questions. Even if I don't have a question, I raise my hand because I want to be seen. So if we want to call me a token, that's fine. But as long as I reach back and open the door for the other people that couldn't get in, I'm not a token. So the token is, the tokenism is where it stops. If you, you hired me, now you're done. You've done your job, right? And you haven't built a culture where I can survive as a woman or survive as a, as a, as a, as a member of an underserved population. But if that person's allowed to thrive and they've been given the support, that's the difference between being a token and not. What are you doing to let them grow? And what are you doing to make sure that people like them grow? So, Yeah, Kaylee, you heard it from Leisha and Anthony. At the end of the day, it's perspective, right? Perspective. And Leisha, I think what you said, ask them. You may feel like it's tokenism, yet we feel you can do this X, Y, and Z. Because at the end of the day, only they can help to be yeah. able to you know, change it. But if they're feeling as if they're tokenized, then they're going to feel it, right? So have a conversation. Kaylee, thank you so much for submitting your question to DSU and helping us always keeping it real. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, we have one more segment we're going to transfer to. We have a, This is our little fun surprise segment. So Seteca is going to uh, help us here for our <laughs> listeners. Uh, we have a little game we call Diversity Thumbball. We're going to have to get the ball here. We're getting our producer. <laughs> To, to grab our ball here. I, I was going to do a little bit of like, you know, charades <laughs> with Logan here. Yeah. Oh, thank you. I so, mean, my short. Oh, you, how did you do that? That's all right. So for our listeners, uh, Sarah is going to explain our well, little fun exercise here. <laughs> well, thank you, Anthony. Yeah. Um, so what we have here is a diversity thumb ball. It is um, like a soccer ball, very, very soft, low liability, no risk, except when <laughs> Anthony throws it at me and I go flying off my chair here. Um, it's a great way to do, you know, conversation starters here. And uh, the whole uh, purpose of it is, since Alicia, you're here in the studio, we will throw it at each other and catch it. And what the rules say, but rules are always about what the group decides, <laughs> <laughs> is you're supposed to try to catch it where both your thumbs land in the same area so that you don't really have to wishy-washy which question or prompt do I want to answer. Yet, you know, I always play with Anthony, and he wants it on two thumbs, fine. 
So we're always playing house rules. We just uh, read it out loud and um, authentically just respond. Yep. All right. All right. All right. Who are you throwing to first, Eric? I'm not gonna say. Okay. It's me. <laughs> it's me. T. All right. What are some effective ways to address bias in ourselves and others? Um, I don't know if I've had this one before. No, so, it's a good one. Yeah. So I know for me, how do I, I think the best way is I call it self-reflection. I call it brush your teeth moment. Oh, I you have do. Yes, you do. I still need to hurry up and register that and trademark it or something. <laughs> but um, I believe every day we all have a moment to ourselves. I don't care whether it's, for me, it's brushing my teeth. I talk to myself in the mirror. Uh, for others, Why are you brushing the, your teeth? Oh, no. Well, I, <laughs> I talk in my brain, but that's a good point. Reminds me of a Martin episode. We won't go there. But anyway, um, I'm always asking myself, what can I do different today? Is there something I can do different today? What can I do to improve? What, what mistake did I make yesterday? How can I make somebody's day? What, what biases did I have? What, what? And so oftentimes in those moments, I try to think about, um, you know, how I can, how I can improve, mm-hmm. how I can, I can improve, how I can recognize my biases. And so I think self-reflection matters. Yep. All right. Next ball. Here we go. Lisa, the athlete. Yeah, that's why she caught it. In what way is your world diverse? <laughs> it's not near as diverse as it should be, I'll tell you that. Um, but I, I think my world is diverse because I uh, surround myself with people who challenge me, who keep pushing me to learn and grow and be better. Um, I like to read, so I'm constantly putting stuff in front of me that I don't understand. And then I end up sending, uh, I'll even send notes to Joe, what the heck does this mean? Um, I I will tell you I surround myself with people, and credit to all those people because they put up with me, but (laughs) I surround myself with people who are smarter than me. Who And I mean that in not necessarily academic per se, it's just who are wise. Mm-hmm. And so from that perspective, I think I'm, I, I gain a lot of diversity. The other thing is my, my girls. I got a 20 and 24-year-old, and I'll tell you what, they keep me on my toes. They are constantly teaching me about being a better human, just being a better person. And for those that don't know, you've got two socially conscious girls for sure. And I love, I love hearing that. Yeah. That's awesome. All right, your turn to toss. <laughs> Hit her in the face. Hit her in the nah, face. She's nice. <laughs> she's very nice. Oh, when did you first learn about bias or hate in the world? Ooh. Have you had that one before? Don't I've remember. had the bias one. Yeah. And I've shared that one. So I'm gonna uh, when did when did you first learn about bias or hate in the world? Knowing what I know now about what bias means, right? It's about prejudices and assumptions, etc. I think I shared this one before with listeners, and this was my earliest memory of it, frankly. Um, it was when a student, um, classmate, had asked me, I think I was in elementary, and uh, he had asked me, what kind of an Indian are you? Hmm. And I... He's like, are you a dot head or a feather head Indian? And he would say, are you a dot head or your feather head? Like, and he, you know, did it, you know, with his hand over his mouth. And I, 
I had no idea what he was even talking about. I'm like, I'm Indian. I was born in India. I'm Indian, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, and I never knew that the bindi on the forehead was called the dot head. And that's the kind of the Indian that they looked at me as. Mm. And so that was probably, and it wasn't hate, okay? So I, the second part of hate in the world, that doesn't apply. But that, how did I learn about bias? That was that mm-hmm. because those are assumptions that they had, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think hate in the world, I saw this a lot with Muslims and Hindus. This is something that, you know, being born in India and then seeing a lot of like, if there's any kind of a, uh, Indian movie that was made where there was a love story with um, a Hindu character or, you know, portrayed as a Hindu character and the other one had a Muslim faith, it would be banned. It would not be allowed because of that, um, I would call it um, inner um, religious relationship, Mm -hmm. right? Um, The other time was when I was in a teenager, a Mississippi Masala, Denzel Washington. Yes. That was something that I remember uh, my parents and other, you know, Indian family members that we associated with said, we're not going to let our children watch it. And that came to multiracial, you know, relationships. Mm -hmm. And it was just something that I'm like, why would you say that? Mm -hmm. You don't know them. You don't know folks. But I think it comes back to that contact theory where the more you get to know people of different lived experiences and backgrounds or our biases go down mm-hmm. and your cultural competency goes up, right? Mm-hmm. I can tell you now that my parents and everyone else that I grew up with that were adults have a different perspective now. Yeah. And I think that I we had a hand in helping them broaden their horizon in that lens. And so I think this is us giving them grace too. Then they knew what yeah. they knew based on their exposure and their exposure, who mm-hmm. we yeah. born and raised in certain parts of where mm-hmm. they were. Um, I had to give grace for that. And as human beings, we can all learn and grow, right? Yeah, and so that's absolutely. been that journey. Grace and space. Oh, I love it, love it, love Fun it. Fun game. Do you like the game? I did. <laughs> Use that in your office, icebreaker. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, as we as we close out, uh, we want to make sure, is there anything else, any advice that you have for our listeners, uh, you know, that would help enhance their, their uh, focus and ability to champion and advance DEI? Anything else you want to share that you think would be uh, parting words of... From the great Leisha. <laughs> well, um, as I've already shared with both of you, I'm certainly no expert in this, so this is just lived experiences. But I do think grace and space, as I said earlier, to allow those conversations yeah. to happen and, and to to really just be open and honest about the fact that I'm on a journey, you're on a journey. We might not be at the same place. I'm not going to get this right all the time, but I I want to I want to understand so that I can be better. And in doing that, we're a better team. We're mm-hmm. a better company we're a better group whatever that better you will always be better if you apply that great advice great advice for the listeners yes well Leisha, thank you so much for your time and your energy and your insights and perspectives and we appreciate uh, you being on diversity straight up and um, again appreciate um, uh, you coming in today and uh, for align energies continued support of this um together we can continue to make it a better place right yes you're right thank you so much appreciate it as we always say diversity straight up keeping it real and a shout out again to our sponsors act alliant energy and cedar rapids bank and trust the show is produced by las media group 
A special thanks to our listeners, as without you, we wouldn't be here. So please continue to help us grow subscriber base by sharing our show with others, liking, commenting, etc. Love this episode of Diversity Straight Up? Then head over to the most popular podcast and audio platforms to subscribe, rate, and review us. We'd love to hear from you. Hit us up and send your questions, comments, and suggestions to info at diversitystraightup.com. And remember, wherever you live, work, and play, our backyards are increasingly global. And as we say on our show, diversity straight up. Keeping it real.